This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman of Bird Campbell, PA. Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 125 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Monday night, September 10th, 2018. Shana Tova, Happy New Year to those who are celebrating Rosh Hashanah this week. We are going to dive right in to the Duke game at Northwestern. But before we do, I am your host for this episode, Sam Klein. I'm coming to you from a rainy and getting rainier Durham, North Carolina. I am joined, of course, by Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Donald, where are you in Washington? I, I'm not even sure. No, I am. I am back on the road for soccer. Uh, I have been on the road for the last few days, but I am currently in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a great city. Love the city to death. Uh, we currently ha- are in the middle of our night before party uh, before the United States-Mexico game tomorrow. So that's where I am. I am having a lot of hot chicken and a lot of cookout. Uh, I am literally a hundred feet from a cookout and that uh that cookout was destroyed last night by me okay all right and uh and jason evans in atlanta i assume jason that you're at home at least uh yes i am i just got back from rosh hashanah dinner um a traditional dinner that we have with uh family friends and um yeah lashana tova to you as well my friend Thank you very much. Uh, so let's get into into Duke football. As we said, we're going to be covering the Blue Devils on the gridiron this year. And so this week was was eventful for Duke, to say the least. Duke beat Northwestern in Evanston, in Evanston. But unfortunately, both quarterback Daniel Jones and defensive back Mark Gilbert suffered significant injuries. Jones is out now indefinitely as he recovers from a fractured clavicle. And Mark Gilbert is unfortunately out for the rest of the season Duke is dealing with some other small injuries on the defensive side of the ball. But before we get to looking ahead and prognosticating about what's in store for the Devils now, I did want to take a few minutes to talk about the win at Northwestern because despite the injuries, it was pretty impressive. And Duke now holds one of the few road games against the Power 5 team in all of Division I football. So I want to go to Donald first. Donald, what what impressed you about this win against Northwestern? Duke didn't allow any points in the second half, right? Yeah, and and you know it's something that's being noticed uh, nationwide. I, I know after the game, in talking in the interview with Coach Cutcliffe, they harped on the fact that I believe it was the fifth straight game that we have not allowed a, a point in the fourth quarter. That's close seventh, on defense. Seventh. I'm sorry. Seventh, seventh straight. Yes, correct. Game. Thank you. I mean, how, uh, seventh straight. Wait a second. That's, wait a second. We got to dwell on that. That's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, I, that's look, really, really impressive. We call that closeout defense, right? Like, that's something that every team wants. If you're a championship team, it's because they have great closeout defense. In the fourth quarter, nothing gets past the line of scrimmage. They're making you punt. They're making you when the, when the, every possession in football is important. But in the fourth quarter, when they really matter the most, you're making them punt. You're making them turn the ball over and down. So you're, turn, you're making them turn the ball over. That is incredible, uh, an incredible statistic to have you know, now seven games where they have held a team scoreless in the fourth quarter when it mattered the most. And not to mention, it, it, it hasn't been something that we've had to deal with this season, but last season we had some of those games where we were down entering the fourth quarter. We pitched shutout football 
and then came back and won the game. And that was the, that was the difference. Our defense is playing spectacularly so far this season. And I really enjoying watching them play and watching them really, uh, basically they, they love the fact that each of them are making plays. It's not just one guy, uh, you know, Mark Gilbert losing him is, is really a, a big blow, but that means the next guy is going to step up and, and do well. Everyone on defense is contributing. And, and offense, you know, there was a couple times where our offense seemed to be uh, sputtering a little bit, uh, but they got through it. They they made plays when they needed to. And, you know, even with the uh, uh, with some of the stagnation that they kind of had uh, throughout the game on some of their possessions, they did what they had to do. They got their points, and, and that's why uh, this team is 2-0. Jason, talk to me a little bit more about the defense. I, I, I need to hear more praise for, for this Duke team that continues to um, not necessarily shut down uh, opponents, but, but is able to take the, way, take the ball away in a, in a timely and effective manner. Yeah, I, so I, you guys will recall before this game happened, do you remember what I said I thought the key of the game would be? No, but you're going to remind me. <laughs> I'm going to remind you, I said turnovers. I said it would be turnovers would be the key to the game. And Duke absolutely won the turnover battle 2-0. And I pointed out that the week before, Northwestern had beaten Baylor when Northwestern won the turnover battle 3-0. But I actually don't think Duke won the turnover battle 2-0. Do you know why? The reason why is because Duke stopped Northwestern on fourth down. Northwestern went for it on fourth down five times in this game. They only converted one of those. And look, I, I remember one of them being really late in the game when they were desperate and, you know, the game was pretty much out of reach. But the other four, if I recall correctly, were at key moments in the game, times when Northwestern was inside our 20, times when Northwestern was driving for a score, and we stopped them on fourth down. As far as I'm concerned, you stop a team on fourth down, that's like a turnover. It's basically it's the same it's, thing it's, as if they fumbled the ball and you picked it up. Right. It's opportunities where Duke gets to start a drive having not had the ball kicked to them. Exactly. Exactly. And, and from a field position and from a momentum standpoint, those are huge plays. So if Northwestern's one for five on fourth down and they have two interceptions that they threw, as far as I'm concerned, Duke got six turnovers off of them. My God, that's huge. I mean, think about this. Northwestern which is a team that hung 30-plus points the week before, a team that had won 10 games in a row. This is a really good club, a team that won 10 games last year. Uh, they are a contender in the Big Ten. Not, they're not Ohio State, but they're a contender in the Big Ten. They scored on their opening drive against Duke, and they didn't do, pardon my French, shit after that. They didn't do anything against us after that opening drive. That is really, really impressive. And, and I'll tell you, I'm amazed at, at the play of our linebackers, our defensive backs, who are riddled by injury. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, what it means that, that we lost Mark Gilbert. Mark Gilbert, one of the, he's in the conversation for one of the best cornerbacks in all of college football. Mark Gilbert, absolutely. He, by the way, he's going to have a really interesting decision in the offseason um, because he was probably going to be a top 50 pick in the NFL draft. He's going to be a first or a second rounder. There are a lot of people who were saying that's, that's where it was looking like Mark Gilbert was going to go. And because this injury, he may have a decision to come back to Duke. It, it's, it's possible that he will say, I can play my way back into the first round if I come back to Duke. Um, 
But for us to lose Mark Gilbert, for us to lose a defensive back as good as that, you know, one of the best defensive backs that Duke football has ever had, for us to lose him and for our defensive backs to be as good as they were. I mean, guys, did you notice how many times the Northwestern quarterbacks would be scrambling and we would have to cover for an extended period of time? It's one thing to cover for three seconds or four seconds. There are times where our defensive, our defensive backs were having to cover the Northwestern wide receivers for five, six, seven seconds. And Northwestern couldn't get anything open. I just thought we were so fabulous on defense. Um, like Donald said, seventh straight game, seven games in a row. We haven't given up any points in the fourth quarter. Our defense gets better as the game gets older. I mean, that's that's huge. So huge. Go ahead. Northwestern Go. actually yeah. outgained Duke in this game. But as you pointed out, Jason, the, the turnovers on downs negate a lot of, of that advantage that they got in pure yardage so they they were bringing the ball into duke's territory and then giving it up at, at key moments now some of those fourth downs were like fourth and seven fourth and nine but if the defense can can leave them back there power to them and northwestern in some cases almost got unlucky because they were they were getting the fourth down when they were just outside of field goal range but too close to to punt the ball Still, though, as you point out, impressive by the defense to to lock it down in the moments when they had to, and the two picks on top of that, which were both at at timely points in the game and and not before the before it was out of hand for them. I mean, Duke, you know, the 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 game was still in play most of the way into the second half. Although, as you pointed out, Duke hasn't given up a a fourth quarter point in in half a season now. So. Um, you get into the fourth quarter apparently against the Blue Devils, and and that's it for you. I said before the game that the key was going to be containing Clayton Thorson, and the defense didn't even necessarily do that. Thorson still had a an effective day um, out of the pocket. He he threw for a bunch of yards, uh, was was pretty accurate. Didn't have the the well, but best. He, he had thirty eight attempts. He had thirty eight attempts. I mean, Northwestern was a team that that I think really wanted to run the ball. That's. Um, th- that was what they did really effectively last year, and that's what they did really effectively in their in their win in, in week one against Purdue. And they were forced; they threw fifty six passes in this game. I mean that that tells you how how desperate they were to figure out a way to get something against this Duke defense. But it's not like it's not like they they weren't converting anything, right? I mean, they, right, they, right. they still move the ball decently. And when you look at the when you look at the, the the pure yardage numbers, it seems like this game should have been closer than it was. It felt like Duke was in control most of the way through the second half. I thought in the first half, even though they went up by by two scores, it still felt like it was going to be a little bit more back and forth. So, well, I thought uh, I, I think so. I think the yardage thing is a little bit of a tricky measurement because it felt to me like in the second half, uh, Duke went into a protective kind of mode. I mean, we were up twenty-one-seven. And uh, especially once Jones got injured, but even before Daniel Jones got injured, I, I feel like Duke was, look, we don't want to do anything to shoot ourselves in the foot. Um, we're going to try and, you know, work the ball on the ground. And, and by the way, I, we did not do a very good job running the ball. We only averaged two and a half yards per carry, which is not a, a good number. Um, but we, we were, you know, I, I think we were sort of content to let the game go the way it was. And if Northwestern ever got within shouting distance, we're going to be like, okay, maybe we can open things up a little bit more. But until you prove that we need to, we're going to play conservative. And I think that was smart. We had zero turnovers. That was the way to go. 
and Duke continues to value the ball and and not commit too many costly penalties. They did have a few penalties in this game, but still feels like they're very disciplined and and you have to you have to be on against Duke for for a while to be able to combat the the discipline and and their ability to take the ball away on defense. Yeah, and uh, by the way, I'll have to say one thing about the offense that I thought was was really interesting, and and people have sort of, at least I know I've been longing for this for a couple years. Duke has a really good collection of tight ends. Copenhagen and Helm are really good tight ends, and I've been, you know, waiting and waiting for for Duke to utilize them as much as I think we possibly can. And in this game, uh, Copenhagen, Helm, and Gray. Those three tight ends who play a lot, all three of those guys had multiple receptions. We got seven um, receptions out of our tight ends, including a touchdown in this game. Um, and I think it was the second touchdown drive featured featured Daniel Jones finding the tight ends left and right constantly um, until Copenhagen scored the, the touchdown. Um, I, I was really impressed with the way we used our tight ends. And, and again, it's it's good that we were able to do that because because I was disappointed in in the running game. Um, you know, I I had expected. Um, Britton Brown to to have a better day than he did. It, it almost looks like Deion Jackson has has almost passed Britton Brown in the rotation. Jackson was getting more care, got more carries in this game than Britton Brown did. Um, they both had moments where they looked good, but I mean, like I said, two and a half yards per carry. We're going to have to be better than that against Baylor, but we'll get to Baylor in a minute. Donald, I want to give you the last word on Duke Northwestern, but Jason, I wanted to go back to the tight ends really quick because you know the most important thing about Daniel Helm and Davis Copenhaver. What's that? Is that Daniel Helm is a student at the Pratt School of Engineering and Davis Copenhaver is a student at the Fuqua School of Business. And hey, by the way, my schools. At one point, at one point during the broadcast, they 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 were talking about how smart the players are on both teams, and they they called up the the majors of some of the players on both teams. Did you guys see that graphic? Yeah, that, that yeah. that's where I learned about Daniel Helm being in in my major, mechanical engineering. <laughs> Yeah, they, they called that up, but like they didn't like if they really wanted to do it, they should have said, hey, here are how many engineering school guys there are on the Duke roster. Here are how many guys in the, you know, in the sciences and stuff. Rather than just picking three sort of random guys, they could have really it could have been really interesting or truly impressive as as great a school as Duke is. Um the, the fact that a lot of these football players take on really, you know, biology majors and chemistry and engineering and computer science, uh, really tough majors. You know, no offense to the folks out there who are majoring in English and communications and stuff like that, the careers that I'm in. But those majors and playing football at the same time, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I barely got through it and I didn't actually play football. So, uh power to them anyway donald your last word on northwestern and then let's quickly talk about the baylor bears coming up this week i think when you when you get down to it with with regards to the defense it's awesome that they're doing things like getting four you know four and out you know interceptions fumbles they are they're getting it done in all areas and what that does is breed confidence a lot of football is not necessarily about how many yards you get how many first down you get a lot of it is about confidence and momentum and our defense clearly has given that to our team. So uh, I, I really enjoy that, and I hope they can keep it up uh, next week. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the boys of Bird Campbell, PA. With law offices in Florida and Texas, Bird Campbell means business. If you have legal business needs in Orlando, Dallas, or the Gulf Coast, find Bird Campbell at 
birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Okay, guys, we've we've looked back at Northwestern. We know now that Duke is going to be a little bit shorthanded going forward in football. Let's talk a bit about the Baylor Bears, who Duke is going to visit this weekend. Luckily, the game is in Waco, so hopefully Hurricane Florence doesn't have any effect on the game other than the Blue Devils maybe having to travel a little early for it. Jason, you've taken a little bit of a look at Baylor. Uh, they've, they're they 2-0 on the season, but but maybe some wins that that should have been more lopsided than they were, right? Yeah, so I think it's hard to tell what kind of a team Baylor is because they have played they they've maybe played the two worst opponents of any team in Division 1 in you know in major Division 1 football. They played uh, the first week they played Abilene Christian. Um yeah, so Abilene Christian is a, an a, the the Abilene Christian Wildcats are a uh, FCS school, a football college subdivision school, which means they don't play for bowls. Um, and, you know, they're they're like no, they're not even a good FCS school. There are some FCS programs that are that are, you know, pretty high quality. Last year, Abilene Christian went two and nine on the season. So Baylor in their first game played a team from a lower division. There's one of the worst teams in that division. And Baylor beat them 55-27. So let's be clear. Abilene Christian got 466 yards of offense on Baylor. They put up almost 500 yards of offense on Baylor. They rushed for 220 yards. This is a terrible team. This is like, this is worse than Duke playing NC Central, who we're going to play in a couple weeks and we will spank badly. And no offense to NC Central, nice guys, but you're just not in a class with a major D, you know, D1 Power 5 program. And, and I mean, I don't want to say the game was close, but Abilene Christian had 20 points at halftime. They, they weren't getting destroyed or, you know, completely blown out at halftime. In their second game, the Baylor Bears played UT San Antonio. Yes, a powerhouse if I've ever heard one. UT San Antonio, the Sagarin rankings, has them number 150. 150. Baylor hasn't played anyone. So it's and and by the way, the game against UT San Antonio was another game that was a reasonably close game. They only beat UT San Antonio thirty-seven to twenty. How, how can that be? So Jason, it tells Jason, you something. Quit, yeah. quit with the optimism. Let's get to what 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 is something that you think Duke needs to do well against this team, even if even if you think they're not as talented. Well, there's little question that you must. Baylor is. Awful on defense. Awful on defense. Baylor is bad on defense. I can't stress that enough. The fact that Abilene Christian and UT San Antonio were putting up 20-plus points on Baylor tells you, and 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 getting 400-plus yards of offense, 500, 600 almost, tells you that Baylor is really, really bad on defense. Duke must be good on offense. That is going to be essential. And then I think Duke's strong point this season, at least especially with Daniel Jones out, is going to be our defense and and especially our our, our passing defense. Um, I, I love our backfield. I, I, I love our linebackers. Um, they played so well against Northwestern. Clayton Thorson is a very good quarterback, and we largely frustrated him. I think that is going to be essential against Baylor because the one thing Baylor does well 
is Baylor's a pretty darn good passing team. They're a pretty good offensive team. Um, they, they put up more than 700 yards of passing offense in those first two games. That's an average of 350 yards per game. Um, so Baylor knows how to throw the ball. They know how to score points. And, uh, you know, I'm encouraged because I think that kind of plays into Duke's hands. I feel like what Baylor does well is um, is something that Duke is really good at taking away from teams. And um, Duke's potential weakness, which is, um, is going to be on offense without Daniel Jones, Baylor is not a team that is primed to take advantage of that weakness. So I really like um, the way this sets up for Duke. And, and, and I, I want to add one other thing. Um, I, I want to talk really quickly about computer rankings um, because even though the season is young, I think you can begin to learn some things from these various computer ranking services that are looking at a lot of games and a lot of stats and a lot of factors, the same way you can with Ken Pomeroy and some of the other rankings in, in basketball. Um, Massey, the Massey computer rankings. Massey um, uh, has a composite he has where he gathers rankings from dozens of different ranking services that use mathematics and computer models, and, and he collects them all into one place. The Massey computer co composite has Duke as the number 22 team in the nation, 22nd in the country. That's really good. Um, they have Baylor. Massey has Baylor at number 70. Number 22 versus number 70. Now, I'm going to be clear. Without Gilbert, and especially without Daniel Jones, Duke is probably not number 22. I mean, missing your quarterback when the quarterback's as good and efficient as Daniel Jones has been is a big deal. But I, I just think it's telling. Number 22 versus number 70. Even if you knock 10 points off of that. Even if we're number 32. Knock 20 points off of that. Make us number 42 in the country. According to all these computer measures, we're still a heck of a lot better than the Baylor Bears. And last thing, and guys, you're going to find this really cool. So one component of the Massey rankings is something called the Hatch rankings. Hatch is this guy who looks using high advanced mathematics at who you played, where you played them, and what the score was. And Hatch has as the number one team in the country, the best team in the country based on who you played, where you played them, and what the score is. Hatch says the number one team in the country is the Duke Blue Devils. How cool is that? We are number one in the rankings. In football. <laughs> okay. I, I'll, I'll give me a few more weeks to, to believe a thing like that. Perhaps Yo, Alabama, Virginia bring it on, Bama. Bring it on. <laughs> hey, next year, right? D Donald, Donald let, me get your, let me get your quick take on Baylor because Jason, Jason sounds pretty optimistic that, that Duke should be able to handle them. Um, we know that Baylor in the past has been, has been effective. It doesn't look like they are this year. Uh, what, what do you think you want to see from, from Duke this weekend in Waco? Well, with all respect to Jason in, in the defense, which I think will be important. Honestly, I think the key to this game is going to be our offense. When you lose a quarterback, you have a, a, a moment, you have a psyche that, you know, the backup quarterback is not going to get the job done. And everyone kind of says, Oh no, can we put faith in this guy? Well, Quentin Harris is our guy now for the foreseeable future. Um, we don't know whether or not uh, it, Daniel Jones is going to come back, if he's coming back, or when he's coming back. So for now, we have to put our faith in Quentin Harris. And I think the key will be, can he get this offense going? Because like Jason said, this Baylor defense gives up a lot of yards, and they can give up a lot of points. If we can score points – then that's going to put less pressure on our defense to perform at their absolute best. Because 
our defense is going to have a point where they're not going to uh, when they're going to have an off day. Our, if our offense can't score points, it won't matter how much our defense performs. So I think we have to do uh, uh, if if the offense can get clicking, if Quentin Harris and the rest of the guys can get clicking, that this is going to be a good game for us. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do. Yo, we got to talk about Gunnar Holmberg, don't we? I mean, we think that Quentin Harris is going to be the starter, right? Or or or, or do we think we're going to see deeper into Duke's Duke's quarterback reservoir? We may see all of them, but I, I I think honestly, I think the starter as of right now, if 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 I'm Coach Cutcliffe right now, I think I'm going with Harris to start the game. I I, I agree with that, but I think we're going to see Gunnar Holmberg or Chris Katrinek, Um, Although most folks say that Gunnar Holmberg is the one that is sort of being groomed to be the, the next Duke starting quarterback when, when Daniel Jones leaves um, and, and that he may get his debut at this point. I mean, there's little que- – I would love for Quentin Harris to be able to throw the ball. I haven't seen Quentin Harris throw the ball very effectively so far. So, uh, you, know, we, we may, you know, we may try and run a lot, um, but I think at some point we're going to go to Gunnar Holmberg during this Baylor game and, and, and let him, you know, let loose. Uh, and it's worth noting – Gunnar Holmberg was higher higher rated coming out of high school than Daniel Jones was. So, and Jason, looking ahead at the schedule, Duke has three games, including the one against NC Central, and then a bye week. So, if you consider that we only need Gunnar Holmberg in games against FBS opponents, it's Baylor, Virginia Tech, and then essentially two bye weeks because Duke should be able to handle NC Central without that deep stable of quarterbacks before they come back and play Georgia tech. So assuming that this broken clavicle for Jones is a month, this month ish injury, um, Holmberg should be able to max out that, that red shirt maximum before coming back out and letting Jones resume his quarterback duties. I think that's going to do it here for the Baylor bears and uh, looking forward to the game in Waco this weekend. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast has a new sponsor this week. We've got Dominate Test Prep, founded by Duke alum Brett Etheridge. Dominate Test Prep provides online courses for the GMAT and GRE that are flexible and affordable. But most importantly, they teach Brett's proven test-taking strategies and produce high scores on test day. If you or someone you know is looking to get into a top school, let a guy who bleeds Duke blue help you out. You can learn more at dominatetestprep.com and use the coupon code GODEVILS to save 10% off of any course package. We're really excited to have Brett and Dominate on as another sponsor here at Duke Basketball Report. Okay, guys, we're going to wrap up this week with parting shots. Donald, you're up first. So my parting shot uh, tonight is a shout out to the Washington Mystics. Uh, the Washington Mystics um, are in the WNBA finals against the Seattle Storm. But really, I want to shout out two players specifically on the team, not to mention that they're uh, part of uh, you know my home city, Washington Mystics. But Monique Curry and Crystal Thomas, two former Duke women's basketball players, are going for a WNBA trophy. Uh, right now, they're they're in they're, they're in the a, a bit of a bind. They're down two nothing to the Seattle Storm, which have been playing out of their minds. But 
for the Mystics, a, a great year for them so far uh, to this point, you know, their first WNBA finals appearance uh, and for Monique Curry and Crystal Thomas, a chance to get a ring. So uh, even though they're, they're probably down uh, in, but not out Monique Curry, Crystal Thomas, hope you guys can get one and get a title for uh, another title for Washington who, uh, after 20 years of, of ineptitude in the finals have come on strong as of late with the Capitals and the Valor. Uh, so hopefully the Mystics can add to the monumental season uh, that Washington has had. Love it. Love it. Jason, your parting shot next. So my parting shot is a congratulations to a Duke guy who did a really wonderful thing this past weekend you may know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Scotty Montgomery, former Duke wide receiver, former Duke offensive coordinator and QB coach, now the head coach of the East Carolina Pirates. And if you didn't notice, if you didn't hear about it, East Carolina played North Carolina this past weekend in football, and Scotty Montgomery's boys crushed, destroyed the Tar Heels 41 to 19. Now, Let's be clear. Scotty has had some tough seasons at East Carolina. There are some real questions about his future in the job, but there's no question that he bought himself some time by beating the tar out of the Tar Heels, and I loved it. It was just fun to watch. I'm sorry, but watching UNC go down is especially juicy when you know that they weren't playing with a lot of their better players because their players had been breaking the rules and selling shoes and doing all kinds of illegal things. And so the school had to suspend some guys, but still 41 to 19 to East Carolina, 41 to 19. The best part about it after the game, they went into the locker room. They go, Scotty, Mo, his players call him Mo that Mo tell us about this game. And Scotty said, I love beating the Tar Heels. It's the best win we've had. Because it's the last one we've had, he said. But I just love beating the Tar Heels. Scotty, you are a dookie through and through, tried and true. We love you, buddy. Congratulations. And go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Man, that is that is great for Scotty. I know that he is, was considered to be on the hot seat this year. Maybe he's turning things around down at East Carolina and and can uh, can can get things going for them after that, after that nice win. And meanwhile, ugh, things are things are looking harder and harder for Larry Fedora in Chapel Hill. We'll see how much longer he survives. There. Oh, I hope. Wait, wait. I want to be clear. Any Carolina fan who happens to come across this podcast, Larry Fedora is a genius. He's a wonderful man. You must keep him on the job. Please do not fire Larry Fedora. Jason, I don't know. I don't know if we reach that audience. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly uh, not sure. I want him to be the coach there as long as possible. Please don't get rid All right, of Larry Well, I, I, I am going to finish uh, today's, today's show with my parting shot, uh, which is that the grad student campout, the Duke grad student campout that was supposed to happen this weekend has been canceled. Uh, it, was, it was late breaking news yesterday for those of us in the graduate school student community. So for those who aren't aware, of course, we, we've talked about a number of times on the show that the whole Kville enterprise that Duke has for allowing the undergraduate students to get into games where they tent out for for a good chunk of the of the winter in January and February and even into March when the game is in March. Um, they're out there on the lawn in front of Cameron for weeks at a time. The grad students have a slightly less intense version of, of that same system, so they have to spend just one weekend out uh, 
camping in a parking lot on campus and it's in September when the weather is a bit more mild than maybe hotter, but but not very snowy and freezing like it is in January and February. So this event happens in September. Sometimes I think it may push into October. But this year, as my first year as a graduate student was going to be my first year at camp out. Unfortunately, Hurricane Florence is on its way up the Carolina coast this week and and inland into the Piedmont region. So the powers that be at Duke have canceled camp out or rather they've postponed it indefinitely, but I'm not sure when they're going to be able to, to reschedule it. So um, TBD on how grad students are acquiring basketball tickets this year. But in the meantime, this should be a warning to everyone that the hurricane is going to be very serious. It sounds like we're going to be getting some pretty, pretty bad wind gusts, even even as far inland as Durham. So be careful, stock up on whatever supplies you need. I'm sure that you've been watching the news if you're listening to DBR, or maybe you haven't, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not your mother. So uh, take care of yourselves and hopefully, hopefully I'll get to <laughs> experience grad student camp out at some point here down the road. Yeah, that kind of, that kind of, uh, it's, it, it, it makes sense from, you gotta be careful when a storm like this is coming your way, but, uh, you guys got to get your tickets. You got to have a camp out. You got to get your tickets. Yeah, I, I, they, they haven't really said yet, and I'm sure that it's low on the priority list for the university as far as you know securing order. But they are going to have to figure out how how grad students are getting tickets, and and the camp out system is in some ways more complicated than the undergraduate system because you have to like make a whole bunch of checks throughout the weekend. And then you get allotted extra spots in the lottery for the ticket packages. If you make more checks, I don't know. I'm not in charge. I, I don't know how they figure it out, but one way or another, I'll be going to a whole bunch of new games this year. So that'll do it for episode 125 of the Duke basketball report podcast. For Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. Thanks again to our new sponsor, Dominate Test Prep, and of course, Bird Campbell, who's been with us for a while now. We'll see you next week uh, to talk about the football game against Baylor and any other breaking basketball news. If it if it comes down the pipe, I'm sure that we have um, I'm sure that we have the full basketball schedule, hopefully right around the corner. So we'll have to dive into that. Um, but for those guys and and. Uh, thank you again for listening to the show. And finally, don't forget, if you if you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe uh, on iTunes or Google or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts. And of course, if you have complaints, don't mention them on the reviews. Email them to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We also take your questions at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also comment on the show on our on the fan forum at forums.dukebasketballreport.com. And of course, if you want to sponsor the show, as Dominate is doing now with us, uh, email us at that same address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you again soon. Until hey, wait, then. wait, Sam, Sam, by the way, I, I want to tell people, please mail us your comments and questions. I'd love for us to do a mailbag show. We're going to do a mailbag show sometime in the next few weeks. So send those questions in, send those comments in dbrpodcast at gmail.com and we'll read them on the air probably maybe if it's any good okay we'll see um no promises but but we'll we'll do our best right absolutely absolutely okay well for jason's interrupting of my of my final read of the show this is sam <laughs> Klein signing out episode 125 of the duke basketball report podcast duke band take us home